Good morning. Welcome to LCC. Let's stand together and let's proclaim the glory of God as we sing together this morning.
his son, Jesus. You may be seated. Well, I want to welcome all of you to our worship service this morning. What a privilege that we have each Sunday to gather uh, and to be freshly reminded of God's goodness to us. In fact, in just the song that we sang, a fresh reminder of all of the accomplishments of Christ and his death on the cross, and then the benefits and blessings that we receive from that. So we're certainly um, encouraged, and we feel this a tremendous blessing to be able to come each Sunday and gather with you. Uh, if you're visiting with us, want to just extend a special welcome. Thank you for being here. If you take just a moment as you leave, find one of the greeters or myself in the foyer as you leave. We have a little gift uh, for you, and we want to just be available to answer any questions that you might have, uh, but just to say thank you uh, for being with us today. We greatly appreciate it. A couple of announcements before our call to worship. This coming Wednesday evening is Women to Women, and so those of you that come on Wednesday nights, you know the routine. We have an open dinner for everyone. Uh, all are welcome at 5.30, then about 6.15. This Wednesday in particular, all women of any age are welcome to come. They'll be looking at Psalm 23, looking at uh, God as our shepherd, and with the Lord in his care and shepherding over us, we lack nothing. We will never be in want. So know that'll be a wonderful time of edification and fellowship and strengthening together uh, for the women this coming Wednesday. And then in just about two weeks on Saturday the 24th is the men's breakfast. And there is a sign-up sheet out on the information desk. So we would, uh, men, those of you that are planning to come to that, would ask that you please sign up just for our uh, ability to have breakfast ready and to make enough food for everyone. Uh, but the men's breakfast is covering a very interesting topic uh, this time on ambition. You know, ambition's an interesting subject, especially when you think about the way that the Lord has made us, the gifts that he's given to us. We don't want to be lazy with those gifts. We want to maximize them. We want to be hard workers um, but there is a temptation to let at times our ambition spill over into selfish ambition and want to create a name for ourselves or to use it for prideful purposes. And so what does that discussion and conversation look like where we steward well the things that God has given to us? We steward our time and our hard work well, um, but not let it become selfish ambition, but instead godly ambition. So that will be the topic of conversation uh, for the men's breakfast coming up on the 24th. We welcome all uh, and invite all men to come to that. But if you would, please stop on your way out, sign up so we know how to prepare food, and we'll look forward to that on the 24th. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 135. I want to read three verses from this psalm and then just listen to these words as they call us to praise the Lord today. Psalm 135 says this, praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for he is pleasant. Now we notice in these couple of verses, this is an invitation to praise. It's an invitation to use warm and personal verbal words to the Lord. And if we think of the idea of praise, it is the finish of something that we enjoy. You know, there's some beautiful sunsets out here, if you've ever seen them as the sun's going down with uh, 
purple and blue and pink skies at times. And could you just imagine standing with a friend or your spouse, staring at one of those sunsets and just being completely silent? Maybe someone standing next to you would give you the little elbow in the ribs to say, say something. Like, what, what are you thinking? What, you're captured in awe. Um, could you finish what you're thinking with words? This is what we're called to do as we praise the enjoyment of our God. We finish that enjoyment as we're called to praise him. It says, praise the Lord. And then it says, praise him, all you servants, the ones that are in the temple, the ones that are in the courtyard. This is a call to all people to praise the Lord. This would have been the priestly line of Aaron that would have been in the temple. This would have been the congregants that were in the courtyard, young and old, man, woman, every age. This is an invitation for all to praise the Lord. So maybe as children, we might just have a simple word. He's awesome. Or maybe as a gifted writer or poet, they might want to put out pages of their verbal praise to the Lord. Does it matter how God's wired you? We're called to praise the Lord and to praise him. An invitation to all. And then finally here, those last couple of verses. It's an invitation for all of us to praise the Lord for his goodness. As people, we have a natural tendency to probably dwell on the things we don't have or things that are going wrong. This is a call for us to put our minds specifically on how good God is, how great God is, and then to sing our praises to him. So that is our call this morning. Let us put our mind with a fresh reminder of how good God is and all that he has done for us, all that he's currently doing for us, all that he will do for us in the future for his goodness and greatness in our lives. We'll praise him this morning. So let me open our time this morning, this call to worship and praise. Father, we thank you for gathering us. We thank you for bringing us here together as your congregation, but also in your presence. And Lord, we want to obey and listen to this call from Psalm 135 that we are to praise you. We are to use our, our voices to verbally and vocally tell you uh, how much uh, we delight in you and how much we enjoy your presence and your goodness to us. So uh, would you be with us this morning? May all that we do be pleasing to you and that you would call our words and our hearts and our thoughts upward and focus to you as we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand together again and let's praise our God. As Pastor just read, for a God who is wonderful, he is good. How can we not praise him? Let's sing. Stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene.
because of God's great love, how can we not want to abide in him? As we'll sing in this next song. is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let's continue in our worship to our God who is a good, good father. of why they think you're alive, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. 
It's who I am. It's who I am. and offerings and ushers would come forward will you bow with me um, father you are a good good father and that we should be called your children what great love that is we cannot even fathom and we praise you and thank you for this time of worship this time that we can come together and we thank you lord god for the gifts that you have given us and this lord most of all those of us who believe here desire your spiritual gifts lord that we might further your kingdom for your glory and lord we pray that you would bless these tithes and offerings these gifts that you have given us materially lord that it would bless them and multiply them for your kingdom and your glory and that many more could come to know you and we ask this in the name of jesus Amen. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run. 
Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you this morning with hearts of praise and thankfulness as we consider who you are, the Alpha and the Omega. You are perfect in every way. Lord, we praise you for your gospel, the good news. We praise you for our redemption, the plan of which you had from the creation of the world. Lord, you are simply amazing. We cannot understand you because you are so far above us. And as we worship you this morning in spirit and truth, we would ask, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we might be able to see you, hear you, feel you, and most of all, know you so that we might become more like you. As Andrew brings the message this morning, Lord, I pray that you would open our understanding of your word, that we might 
put it deep in our heart, and use it in our lives. In Christ's name we ask, amen. We can dismiss children to Children's Church at this time. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 10. We're going to continue in our series in Acts, looking at verses 44 through 48 this morning. And I'd like to set, as we get started this morning, just a little bit of context, because the verses that we'll be looking at today, uh, they, they rely a lot on what is going on leading up to this particular passage. So to set the context for our passage, earlier in chapter 10, we've covered this Previously, early in cha- earlier in chapter 10, we were introduced to a man named Cornelius, and Cornelius had a vision that he was supposed to send for Peter. He was supposed to send some people to go get Peter and bring Peter to the house of Cornelius. Cornelius had this vision. Around the same time, Peter had a vision, and at the end of that vision, God told Peter, some men are coming to get you. I want you to go with them. And so the men come. Peter knows why they're there, that he's supposed to go with them. And so Peter takes some of his friends, six of his friends with him, and they travel to the house of Cornelius. This is all developing as we get to our passage today. As Peter and his friends, they travel. It takes them a little bit more than a day. As they travel to the house of Cornelius, they get there, And Cornelius has a group of close friends and relatives waiting for them when they come. And we'll find out later in chapter 11, this will be uh, not today, but we'll find out later as we get into, into chapter 11, that in his vision that Cornelius had, God had even told him that the message of salvation is coming to your house as Peter comes. So Cornelius is is anticipating. Peter arriving to hear what Peter has to say. He's anticipating that, and he's gathered his household together, close, uh, close friends, relatives, to hear what Peter has to say. And so Peter comes with his friends, and he walks into the house of Cornelius, and he sees the people there, all these Gentiles, Peter being a Jew, all these Gentiles he sees gathered in this house. And so Peter mentions to Cornelius, who knew the way of the Jews, Peter mentions to Cornelius, a Gentile, you know, this is heavily frowned upon for me to be coming into your home like this and to be associating with, with Gentiles like this. This is heavily frowned upon. And this would have been due to the religious customs and um, the, the, the daily life that the Jews were used to living. They did not associate or fellowship with or eat with Gentiles. They, they were taught in their religion, in the, in the Jewish religion, in Judaism, that the Gentiles were considered an unclean people. And so based on their religion and their customs, they did not make a practice of fellowshipping or eating with Gentiles. So Peter acknowledges that. This would be frowned upon. But, Peter says, God has shown me in my vision that God is making unclean things clean. And so Peter is comfortable being there in the presence of these Gentiles. So that sets some context, and then Peter starts to speak. Cornelius says, you're here. I've got everybody gathered. We want to hear what you have to say. And we heard last week, 
Peter starts to preach this sermon, he starts by saying, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. He opens his sermon that way. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. And then Peter shares the gospel. He shares how Jesus was the Messiah, how Jesus was crucified. He shares how Jesus rose from the grave. And as Peter is sharing the gospel, as we heard last week, he shares how everyone who believes in Jesus will be forgiven of their sins. That brings us to our passage today. Our passage takes place, picking up in verse 44, as Peter is preaching this gospel sermon, he is interrupted by these verses that we have today, verses 44 through 48. And the focus of these verses, as Peter is speaking, the focus of these verses is to show us that God definitely does fully include the Gentiles into his covenant family. God shows in our verses today the full inclusion of Gentiles into his covenant family. Our passage is the, the playing out of what Peter said, that God shows no partiality. Everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved without favoritism and without distinction. And we'll see three ways in our passage today how God doubles down and triples down on that fact. We'll see one, the full inclusion of the gospel. All who believe in Jesus will be saved. We'll see the full inclusion of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in all who believe. And we'll see the full inclusion of baptism. All who believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins are invited and called to receive the outward sign of baptism. Full inclusion of the gospel, full inclusion of the Holy Spirit, and the full inclusion of baptism reiterate over and over again that yes, God fully includes all people in his covenant family through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's pick up now looking at verse 44 of Acts chapter 10. We'll just focus in on this first verse here for a minute. Verse 44 says this, while Peter was saying these things, in other words, while Peter was in the act of speaking the gospel with Cornelius and his household, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Peter's speaking was interrupted by the coming of the Holy Spirit to this Gentile household. Peter had started with, God shows no partiality. He had gotten to the point where he said, everyone who believes in Jesus will be forgiven of their sins. And now what he has been saying has become a reality. Everyone who hears the gospel and responds in faith and believes in Jesus Christ in that moment, everyone who did that, everyone who was hearing the gospel and putting their faith in Jesus Christ received the Holy Spirit. Now we can know, based on 
the other passages, the other conversion passages in Acts, that when they received the Holy Spirit, they were believing and incorporated in that believing. They were repenting of their sins, and they were turning to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins in faith. That's what, that's what would have been encompassed in their believing. They would have been repenting of their sins and turning to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And as they did that, the Holy Spirit came. Salvation has come to the Cornelius household as Peter is sharing the gospel. Now let's consider for a moment how God brought this amazing gift of salvation to Cornelius and his household. How did this happen? What, what prompted this? What caused this to take place? We read that Peter was speaking the gospel, and they believed because they heard the good news of Jesus Christ. It says, when they heard the word, as Peter was speaking, all who heard the word, that is, all who heard the gospel, all who heard the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as they heard it and as they believed it, that's what brought salvation to this household. It was the proclamation of the gospel and the response of believing that gospel news of Jesus Christ. What we don't see is that Peter impressed them with the way that he dressed. That's not here. What we don't see is that Peter somehow grabbed their attention with the, the way that he spoke, that he had all the right words, or that he said them all in the right way, or that he had all the charisma that he needed to grab their attention. We don't see that here. We don't see that Jesus or that Peter came in with, uh, with, a, uh, with a, um, just a clear video presentation sermon series on how to be a better you or some stunning graphics, or an amazing sound system. None of that is here. Now, there might be a place for that, but it's important for us to remember in our, in our context today, where we have all of those things at our disposal, that all of those things are empty without what Peter includes here. It wasn't those things that got the attention of Cornelius and his household. Those things, we can use them. They're tools, but it wasn't those things that got the attention of Cornelius and his household. Cornelius and his household were brought into contact with the gospel, the pure gospel. It is God's powerful word of eternal life in Jesus Christ that saves souls. We see throughout Scripture God working through the power of his word. At the beginning, in Genesis, God spoke and things were created. Things came into existence through God's word. In Ezekiel 37, the passage about the vision that Ezekiel has about the valley of dry bones. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel has a vision where God, speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, speaks over this valley filled with dry bones. And God says, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. 
If we fast forward to the New Testament in John, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, John then explains Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word who is life and brings life to all who believe in Him. And that's why later in Romans 1, verse 16, Paul can say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. It's the power of God's word at work, pointing us to Christ and salvation in him alone. It's the power of that word that brings salvation. You know, often we can get caught up in trying to make sure that everything is just right or that we've crossed every T and dotted every I when it comes to ministry or when it comes to uh, maybe even sharing the gospel with, with someone that we love, with a friend or a neighbor or a family member. A lot of times we can get caught up in just trying to make, make sure that everything is just right so that we can share the gospel and maybe, maybe we can convince them to believe if we just get everything just right. Or maybe we look back on a time when we had an opportunity and we wonder, why didn't that go quite the way I wanted? And we can get kind of weighted down and burdened with, I wish I would have said something. I wish I would have said it maybe a little bit different way. Maybe it was the way I presented myself. Maybe it was the way that, that I said it. Maybe, it. maybe I didn't do it right. And there might be value in considering those things. Sure, there's value in that and trying to make sure that we are presenting the gospel the right way and presenting ourselves in the right way. But let's remember this. At the end of the day, in our families and with our neighbors, coworkers, wherever God provides an opportunity, just make much of Christ. Just make much of Christ. You know, one of the things as a, as a father, spend a lot of time trying to think about how do you, how do, you do family devotions? There's so many ways, and it's so confusing, and it never goes the same way twice, and I'm learning it's, it's, it's a challenge. It can be a challenge, or, or how do you share the gospel with a neighbor, or, or how do you share the gospel with, an ext with extended family? There, there's so much that we can get caught up in. Like I said, it's okay to think about those things, but just make much of Christ. That's what Peter was doing here. Make much of Christ. It is God's powerful word of eternal life through Christ that saves souls. That's the power of God's word. That's what happened here. That's what brought salvation to the household of Cornelius. And we see as they believe, all who believe are saved. All who believe receive the Holy Spirit because there is full inclusion in the gospel. God promises to save all who come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 10, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the full inclusion of the gospel. That's the message, brothers and sisters, that we need to have woven into the very fabric of our lives. All who respond to the gospel, 
with repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. All who come to God through faith in Jesus Christ will be saved and reconciled to our God. This inclusive message of Jesus Christ needs to be flowing through the veins of the church. This message needs to be shaping who we are, what we do, and what we're about. All who believe will be saved. This is the good news of salvation that needs to be flowing from the church into our families, into our communities, so that the church can be a beacon of life. Let's make much of Christ in our homes, in our church, and beyond. Let's make much of Christ, and let's say with Paul, through our words, through our actions, through our attitudes, through our values, let's say with Paul, we are not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let that be woven into the very fabric of our being because this is the message that brings salvation. It brought salvation to Cornelius and his household, and it's the same powerful word of salvation that saves people today. The methods might change, what's around it might change, but the power remains in the same place. It's the word of God pointing us to Christ. It's the full inclusion of the gospel message. Now, as we continue in our passage, we can be sure that salvation has come to the Cornelius household because the Holy Spirit is very clearly making his presence known. Let's look at verse 45 in the first part of 46 here, picking up in 45. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Now the, the circumcised Jews, that'd be the, the Jewish believers that are with Peter, they were marked out as God's people through their circumcision. They're amazed at what they're seeing as the Holy Spirit is poured out. They're amazed because they are recognizing in this moment as the Gentiles are believing in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is being poured out even on these Gentiles. This is the full inclusion of the Holy Spirit. God is making it known in this moment that the Holy Spirit will come to all who believe in Jesus without distinction. And this is really the primary focus of this entire passage. You can see the focus of the Holy Spirit throughout these verses. The, whole, the primary focus of this entire passage is this, the Holy Spirit coming to the Gentiles, even the Gentiles, is clear proof that God is now withholding nothing from the Gentiles. They are full recipients of the Holy Spirit, and they are full recipients of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. It's probably hard for us today to imagine just how jaw-dropping this was for the Jewish believers that were with Peter. For their entire lives, the Jewish believers had looked at the Gentiles through the lens of their religion. 
It was ingrained in their daily lives just how different Jews and Gentiles are. It'd be something like if you, if you woke up and all of a sudden you, were, um, you, were, you used to be right-handed, now you're left-handed. And you tried to write and you were like, well, that's going to take some getting used to. That's different. Or if all of a sudden your, your, gas was, your gas pedal and your brake pedal switched and you tried to drive a car and you were like, well, that's going to take some getting used to. That's not the way I'm used to doing things. That's so ingrained in the way that I normally do life that switching that up changes everything. It's, a, it's a, like a mind-boggling experience. It, that's maybe in a small way can help us understand what the Jews would have been experiencing here, the, the Jewish Christians that are with Peter. This is totally different. This is like left is right and right is left. It's confusing because their entire lives they had spent viewing the Gentiles through the lens of their religion. And so they're astonished. The Gentiles had always been different. The Jews had always been set apart from the Gentiles. Now God used that. God had set Israel apart so that he could pave the way for the Messiah. But now the Messiah is here. And the gospel is tearing down the walls that need not be there. Now, by pouring out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles, God is showing the full inclusion of the Gentiles into his covenant family. They're amazed. And there is no doubt, as they're watching this unfold, there is no doubt that the Holy Spirit truly has arrived. The Gentiles are speaking in tongues, and they're praising God for this beautiful news of the gospel. And this speaking in tongues and this praising God, this language points us back to Pentecost, when the Jews received the Holy Spirit. Points us back to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first fell on the Jews, and they were speaking in tongues. And Luke helps us see back at that time, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, the Jews that were receiving the Holy Spirit began speaking in tongues, and they were speaking in languages that they hadn't spoke before so that other people who were there could also hear the gospel. They began speaking in languages that they had never learned so that other people could hear the gospel in their native tongue. That was the evidence that the Holy Spirit was really there. And so there's similar language here to show us that everything that happened then at Pentecost that showed the Jews that God was pouring the Holy Spirit out on them is now happening to the Gentiles. There's no doubt that the same Spirit that was poured out on the Jews is now being poured out on the Gentiles. They have received the the same Holy Spirit. And now Jews and Gentiles are reconciled both to God and to each other, receiving the very same Holy Spirit. Peter sees this. He sees this and he makes the connection because we'll see, he says later in verse 47, they have received the same Holy Spirit just as we have. And we'll see later in chapter 11, as we move on in this series, as Peter looks back on this series of events and he describes them, he says, I began to speak and the Holy Spirit that fell, and the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us. So Peter is making this connection. He's had his vision that God's going to make unclean things clean. He sees that that applies to the Gentiles, and now he recognizes they've received the same same Holy Spirit 
as us. And the Holy Spirit is making himself known in very visible, very powerful ways that prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is the case. Gentiles have been fully included and fully received the Holy Spirit. Now, I think as we read through Scripture and as we look at our our own lives, I think it's, it's probably clear that this is a very significant event in a, in a very specific piece of time. So it's marked by drastic events. We have, the, we have, right as Peter is speaking the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls in very visible ways. But it's important for us to remember that not everyone who God saved at this time had this kind of dramatic experience. We saw a dramatic experience at Pentecost. We saw a dramatic experience when Philip took the gospel to the Samaritans. We see a dramatic experience here as the gospel is now going to the Gentiles. But that doesn't mean that this kind of drastic, um, super, uh, just intense experience, it doesn't mean that was the norm. In fact, many people were being saved every day as the gospel was going out just through the common way that God saves, belief in the gospel, being baptized, and being gathered into God's people. So this is not a common way, but it's a dramatic way because God is using the the sign of tongues and this, this verbal praising of God in a very dramatic way to prove this truly is an act of God. There's no doubt here. There's no faking this. This is truly an act of God. And it's important for us to remember that. I think, well, I think it's at least helpful for us to think about that because when we think about salvation experiences, probably in this room, we all have a very, or I shouldn't say very different, but we all have a different salvation experience than the person next to us. Salvation testimonies are probably like fingerprints. They're all different. Some of them might be close, but they're all a little bit different because God draws people to himself in so many different situations and scenarios. So our salvation testimonies or our salvation experiences are all a little bit different. Here for the Jews or for the the Gentiles in Cornelius' household, very drastic. But they're they're all a little bit different, and that's okay. I want to provide some comfort today that that's okay. It's okay if we don't have a dramatic experience like Cornelius and his household. It's okay if you have a, a different salvation experience or testimony than the person sitting next to you, because God does that. God draws people to himself in all kinds of ways. But the result is always the same for everyone. For everyone here and for everyone that was in Cornelius' household and for everyone that God has drawn to himself, the result is always the same. Salvation in Jesus Christ. And we can rest in this. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ receives eternal life and the Holy Spirit coming to take up residence within us. No matter how you come to God, when you put your faith in Christ, you are eternally saved and you receive the Holy Spirit. And now, this is true of all of us, The result, with the Holy Spirit living in us, now we are enabled to grow and mature in the faith as the Holy Spirit teaches us more about Christ and what he's done for us. We all have that same salvation result. The Holy Spirit living in us 
and now teaching us about Christ and what he's done for us. I love this quote by one commentator that I came across as I was studying out just the Holy Spirit being in us. He says this, this is what the Spirit now does in all of us. Regardless of our salvation experience, this is true of all of us. The Holy Spirit is sent to make Christ real to people and to show us who Christ really is and his glory so that we come to love him, meaning Christ, we come to love him, trust him, obey him, and show him to the world. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. It's a great summary of the work and the evidence of the Holy Spirit in us. We may not have the same evidence that Cornelius and his household did. It may not look exactly the same, but we have the same Holy Spirit living in us, pointing us to the same Christ and transforming us into the image of Christ so that we can love him and obey him and trust him and make him known to the world. That's how the Spirit works in us and makes God's presence known to the world in us. And that's true. That's the full inclusion of the Holy Spirit in us today. The Holy Spirit comes to all who believe. If you're here as a believer today, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, doing that work in you without distinction. The Holy Spirit comes to all who believe. And Peter, recognize, Peter recognizes the situation. He was kind of prepped for this. He recognizes the situation, and he calls then for the Gentiles, recognizing that they've been saved, he calls for them to now be baptized. Let's look at picking up here at the end of verse 46 and then the remaining two verses. Peter, Peter declares, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have, just, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him then to remain for some days. Now, in these, we, we've seen the full inclusion of the gospel God's word goes out and proclaims Christ to everyone. All who believe can be saved. We have the full inclusion of the Holy Spirit. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will receive the Holy Spirit without distinction. And now we have the full inclusion of baptism. Peter asks, this, Peter asks his question to make a point. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit? Peter sees the inclusion of the Gentiles that's taking place. He sees that there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. He sees that we all receive the same Holy Spirit. And so he asked this question to make a point. Can anyone withhold water? Can anyone withhold baptism from these Gentiles? The clear answer is no. No. There's no reason to withhold baptism from the Gentiles. They should be baptized. Upon their conversion from sinner that is lost to believer who is saved, upon that conversion, they should be baptized. And so Peter commands them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, why is Peter so adamant that they should be baptized? Why is this Peter's response? Why does he see this and automatically, why does his mind turn to baptism? Why is water baptism such a priority for Peter in this moment? The answer has to do with the importance 
of water baptism. Peter knows that water baptism is a very significant piece, very significant piece of the conversion experience. Peter sees Cornelius and his household have been converted from death to life. Conversion has taken place in their souls. Peter sees this conversion that has taken place, and the visible sign of that conversion is water baptism. Specifically, as Peter says, in the name of Jesus. Water baptism in the name of Jesus. Water baptism in the name of Jesus shows that we are turning from our rebellion against God in repentance to God as our Savior through Jesus Christ. Water baptism shows that we have been converted from rebellious sinners to sinners who have placed all of our faith in Jesus Christ for redemption. Water baptism is a sign of that conversion and a very important piece of the conversion experience. The conversion experience is not complete according to God's design until it has included water baptism as a sign and a seal of our conversion. Water baptism is the outward sign that we have received the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Water baptism is the outward sign that, yes, God has saved me. Not because of what I've done, but as Paul says in Titus, not because of works done by me, but I have been saved according to God's mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Water baptism is a sign that the Holy Spirit has come into me and cleansed me from my sin through faith in Jesus Christ. Water baptism signifies that we have been cleansed on the inside. Do we still have sin? Yes. But we are washed on the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit's regeneration. We are renewed by the Holy Spirit being in us. And water baptism signifies that we have been cleansed on the inside and all of the gospel promises that God gives now belong to us. Do you see why water baptism is so important? Water baptism is a critical piece of the conversion experience that God has included in his design for us that everything that he does on the inside would be signed and sealed on the outside by water baptism, that water baptism would be the sign and the seal that, yes, this has taken place in this person. This conversion in this person is real. Water baptism is not to be taken lightly. It's not to be misunderstood or brushed to the side or ignored or entered into nonchalantly. It is a significant piece of our conversion experience. And Peter sees that. He knows that. And so he calls for Cornelius and his household to be baptized because Peter wants them to have this sign. You have been converted. Now take on the physical sign of baptism, of water baptism, as a sign and a seal and a reminder that you are now 
gods. You are now a follower of Jesus Christ. Our baptism reminds us that all the riches of the gospel are now ours in Christ. If you wrestle with your faith, if you struggle with doubt as a believer, look upon your baptism and remember what it signifies. It's interesting. If you read through the Bible and you see where Paul is talking about faith in Christ and our assurance, a lot of times he brings up baptism because he knows that baptism is a reminder and it signifies on the outside a physical reminder of who we are in Christ. And so in Paul's mind and in Peter's mind, being baptized is not something that you do as a believer, and then move on and forget about. Being baptized is such a critical piece of the conversion experience that you go through it, and then you keep looking back on it as the sign and the the reminder of who we are in Christ. And so Peter calls for the Cornelius household to be baptized. It's a beautiful sign, isn't it? All that baptism signifies. But there's something else going on here as well. Peter wants them to be baptized because it's an important piece of our conversion experience, but there's something else going on too. By having the Gentile believers baptized, Peter is now showing that they are fully accepted into God's church. As Peter offers baptism to the Gentile believers, he is communicating in that offer, we recognize that you belong in God's covenant family, and we are extending the offer of the sign to you. Peter is showing that he also, along with God, fully accepts the Gentile believers into the fellowship of the Christian church. And we see this at the end of the passage. The new Gentile believers invite Peter and his friends to stay. It says to stay for some days. And the implication here is that they did stay. They did have extended fellowship with these Gentiles, including eating with them, which Peter is going to have to give an answer for later. But Peter and his friends fully accept the new Gentile believers into their warm Christian fellowship. And we see that Peter is making that very clear by offering baptism to them. When we as a church, when we baptize a believer, we want to emphasize all that baptism signifies. We want to emphasize what the, the significance is of baptism, what it means, what it communicates. We want to, we want to educate the person being baptized. This is, this is important. This is serious. This is good. All that baptism signifies is very important for us as Christians to consider. But when we baptize a believer, we are also communicating that we receive you into God's church. We receive you. We acknowledge with God that you are now united to God through Christ and reconciled to all other believers across all of time. By offering that sign, we are accepting other believers into God's covenant family. We are showing the same acceptance that God is. We are recognizing when we give the sign of baptism to someone else, we are recognizing that person 
as a brother or sister in Christ in a very visible, tangible way that should be encouraging both for the church and for the person being baptized. This is such a powerful message, this message of fellowship and reconciliation that, that is communicated through baptism in a world that is aching with division, in a world that is aching and wondering, is there any way that we can all get along? Is there any way that we can all be at peace? Is there any way that we can all just be together and not be divided, not be angry, not be yelling at each other? Is there any way that we can be reconciled to each other and get along in a world that is aching for an answer to that question? Baptism reminds us of the answer because the answer is yes. Yes, that is actually possible and in ways that are much bigger than we could ever imagine. Yes, reconciliation is possible through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled to God and to each other. And so as the church gives the sign of baptism and shows the acceptance of new believers into the family and shows that we are all reconciled to God and we are all reconciled to each other, we are communicating to the world, this is something way beyond what man could ever accomplish. And the church proclaims the gospel through baptism. So we've seen throughout the book of Acts, we've seen this good news of Jesus Christ. We've seen the gospel crashing like a wave over the walls. It crashed over the wall into the Jews. It crashed over the wall into the Samaritans. And now it's crashed over the wall into the Gentiles. There's a gospel wave crashing through the book of Acts, taking life wherever it goes. And this is our call today, to continue to propel the life wave of the gospel through our lives while we are here on this earth. This gospel wave doesn't stop in Acts. This gospel wave is picking up steam, and it continues to flow throughout time. Even to us today, our call today as we look at the full inclusion of the Gentiles is to propel this gospel wave out from the church today where we are, to propel this gospel news into our lives, into our communities, into our world until God takes us home. The all-inclusive message of the gospel that all who believe in Jesus Christ will be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. When we get tired, rest in the gospel. Find strength in the gospel. Find energy in the gospel. And may our steps be aligned with simply making much of Christ. If we make much of Christ, we will propel that gospel wave out into the world until God takes us home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want nothing more as a church and as your people than to make much of Christ. We pray that everything we do would be centered on that, that we would never lose sight of that as a church, that we would never lose sight of that as individuals, that making much of Christ would be the reason behind all that we do. Lord, we want Christ to be exalted because in the message of Christ is salvation for all people. Father, 
I pray that you would remind us today for all believers who are here, that you would remind us that you pour out the Holy Spirit on your people without distinction when we come to faith in Christ. Remind us, Father, that you are with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit, that you are working in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you would continue to help us grow more and more into the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you would help us today to remember the significance of baptism, that when we are baptized, we are reminded that we are fully included into your covenant family, that all of the gospel promises belong to us. Father, when we are distracted in this life, when we are discouraged in this life, flood our minds with the gospel promises of Jesus Christ, that we get to live forever with you, that we are fully forgiven of our sins, that you love us with a steadfast love and you will never leave us. Father, let the promises of the gospel flood our minds day in and day out, that we could be strengthened and energized by the message of Christ and use us, Father. I pray that you would make much of Christ in our lives and that you would use us to propel the wave of the gospel from this church into our lives, into our communities, and into the world until you take us home for your namesake. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. today and every day because of the gospel and God's great love for us. Let's stand together and let's close out our service this morning singing Today is the Day.
Brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen. Have a great week.